Hello listeners and welcome to a brand new episode of the Everybody's Eats Legum podcast. I'm your host as always Nanad, delighted to be joined by my co-host Alexander Collins. Collins, how's it going? <laughs> your government government naming me. No, I'm good Nanad, how are you? <laughs> yeah, I'm good, I'm good too. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I'm government naming you because we have another uh, another Alexander pod today. Delighted to welcome Alex Barker. otherwise known as the euro expert who is literally everywhere doing everything and uh, and giving us some wonderful wonderful football coverage all along so welcome to the welcome to the pod alex thank you for joining us oh thank you for having me on guys i know we said it while we uh, uh before we started recording but i'm a big fan of you guys i've been following you guys for a couple oh, feels like three or four years since the pandemic since everyone <laughs> got into football and uh, i'm looking forward to be shown up today in my league uh, knowledge but uh, more excited to just uh, note down everything you say and pass it off as my own <laughs> <laughs> we're going to be doing the same so i think it'll be a nice mutual back and forth no absolutely <laughs> absolutely all right with that let's uh, let's get into the discussion of the weekend review some big results over the weekend we'll start with uh, Nantes 5 Lorient 3 those results moving on to mid table in 11th and lorion down to 14th is the second time that nont have conceded three goals but the attack seems to be flourishing each of moses simon matias ablin flora molay and mustafa mohammed were involved in the goals alex i'll come to you first what have you made of nont so far this season and what do you think of this result for them so i think i think we spoke oh which alex Yes, I was just thinking this. <laughs> Now this is this is this is why I said I had referred to you as Collins, Alex Collins. We're leaving this in. Yes. Do you know what my friends tend to refer to me as Barker because we have similar issues of many Alexes in our friend group. So for this podcast, shall we be Collins and Barker for the listeners? You know what? Fine, let's do that. All right, Barker. This is this is the issue with being an Alex in this in this generation. Uh, um. All right, Barker, not go. <laughs> Uh, Nantes generally are my favorite team to watch uh, over the last couple of seasons under Antonio Cambare. Uh, he's made a pretty boring uh, classic 4-4-2 system. I mean, I imagine if you're a fan of them, they must be awesome to watch every week because it's just like defending for their lives. Uh, but my main thoughts on watching the goals from this game, uh, I think it was for the 4-5-1 I want to say, is just that it, it was quite out of character for them to score so many goals. Um but like my main memory from this was i think it was Moses Simon um for the fourth like just twisting and turning his marker and cutting it back for the finish i was just watching them thinking i remember there were rumors in the summer of him potentially leaving uh, Nantes and i was just like they're so lucky that he's never been like amazing and been picked up and they're also so lucky he's never been just inconsistent enough and to get relegated um I'm not sure is that the the perfect answer to what I think of Nantes. Those are just my only thoughts on Nantes because as I said, I don't watch him and I don't tend to watch him enough because who would unless you're a Nantes fan? And if you two do, <laughs> you're psychos. I have to say, I generally agree it's funny um 
right before the beginning of the season, basically, Nanad was like, where will the goals come from? I, I think we didn't have them. Did we have them getting relegated? We had them in we had them, zone. We had them suffering for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But funnily enough, now they're scoring and just conceding a lot this season. I think since the new coach, Aristoi, come, came in, I'm, I have watched them a bit and I'm, I'm enjoying what I'm seeing. Like, because I also always, the teams that I would kind of avoid watching Montpellier, um, to, to be honest, Monaco in previous seasons, not <laughs> as well. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm kind of excited with what they're trying to do in terms of how they're trying to to make things. That, the problem is, is I think that they're trying to build up quite nicely from deep, but there's this like massive gap in the middle. And then they actually have players now, especially since they brought in Matisse Ablin and sort of Molay is also a good player, can kind of make things stick. They have guys up, up top, but the issue is kind of getting the ball you know through that middle zone without losing it and i think it makes them it makes them kind of vulnerable in these transitions to to conceding a lot because they lose the ball in bad areas so it's a, it's it's a more interesting team to watch now i think because they're not solid but they are trying to do more dangerous things almost so so I'm 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 kind of excited actually to see where they might go this season. I think they're gonna be a potentially chaotic team. Oh, that's that's what they've been so far, unless they find a more safe way of building out. Um, but yeah, but personally, I think my main takeaway is I was just excited to see Ablin play. You know, that's kind of I don't ever think he's gonna be a great player, but he's a player I've kind of like stand a little bit, and I tend to do this with strikers or attackers who who don't score much but kind of have like a nice little bit of tech about them. Um, and he's one of those. So seeing him thrive a little bit is, is nice. For sure, for sure. And in terms of Lorient, Elie Krupi really thriving for them. 17 years of age and he's already got a, one goal and two assists so far. Featured again in, in this game and did well. Um, have, you, have you been impressed with him so far? Collins, I'll come to you first. I have to say I haven't watched, I haven't watched enough of him to really get a good um, sense of the player he is. But obviously, yeah, I think he's one that we're going to keep an eye out for. And maybe a couple of weeks down the line where we think we're planning to do a, a young player pod, we'll definitely keep an eye on him. But yeah, uh, one goal and two assists in how many appearances? Because he wasn't playing in the first two games. No, I he think. wasn't. So, I mean, I, I assume some three, four games now. So, yeah. Yeah. And not even, not even you know, three, four full games. I think he's come off the bench and he's he's gone off early. So... So yeah, that's definitely an impressive start. Well, Barker, what have you made of uh, of Lorient's uh, Lorient's performance in this one and and their season so far in general? So I caught them uh, they're in four against Monaco, and I thought they were really good in that game. And it, it's interesting you mentioned a uh, groupie, and I've also not qualified yet to comment on him, even though I've seen him play, and that's yeah. because. I feel like my perspective's been shifted because he's Lorient's striker, right? At least that's what FopMob would tell you. But in that Monaco game, the guy I came uh, away really impressed by was Tosin, who is on the left wing. But against Monaco, he was like the the striker hanging forward when Lorient were in their deep block. And he scored in this game against Nantes. And I came away thinking, like, he looks like a really impressive player. I think he came in from Zurich in the summer. He's not near as young. I think he's... Uh, 25. Um, so yeah, I need to look at Groupie because I feel like I've got a distorted view of how Lorient attack because he's clearly like a very big part of it. But when I've watched Lorient, I've looked at Tolson and gone, he is the guy that's great. The the, th- the funny thing about Lorient is it's hard to kind of make out how, you know, their attack so far because it just keeps changing in terms of personnel. They've had guys like Dukure. They've obviously had... Oof, I've forgotten his name. Bambadien. 
Yeah, no, not Bamidia. Arona Kone. Yes, I always forget him. They've had Kone, <laughs> they've had Dieng, and then I think the one staple is Favre. And then it's kind of like a, a rotating stock of players who seem to impress. All of them kind of come in, and I think everyone's impressed to some extent. So it's a, it's a weird sort of balancing act. And I didn't realize, I mean, Lorient have a, a, a weird amount of depth across their squad at the moment. They do indeed. They do indeed. Uh, especially in forward areas, I think that would be quite telling. <laughs> and I, I feel like I, I mean, from of you know, without even looking at the table, their early season performances, I felt in my head they were much higher, somewhere in the top ten, but they're down in fourteenth. So hopefully, um, results pick up for them in due course of time. All right, let's move on to the league leaders now. Surprisingly, Brest, who beat Lyon one nil, putting uh, Lyon down to seventeenth. Um, at least they're not bottom, so that's good. Um, but uh, but Fabio Grosso's start to his Leon career, Leon managerial career, I should say, uh, off to a very poor start. Was dropping Ryan Shirky the difference in this one? Barker, I'll, I'll let you answer that first. This is a game I'll be completely honest to you and listeners. I just watched Silence because... With Leon, <laughs> if you watch them, you'll just get you'll just get disappointed. And like I, I saw all the, the furor over Cherky not starting. Um, regardless, I think if he whether he's different or not, he maybe we'll have a, a slightly different. I have a slightly different perspective here to some listeners because I watch. Uh, well, I'm in the UK, so I watch every Leon game through. TNT Sport now, and every commentator has it out for Cherky every single game. And I don't know if that's the same in France, but it's just like every game is like, oh, he should have passed here, he should have shot here, he just keeps making these mistakes, he keeps doing a lack of defensive work. And like you forget, it feels like he's been around for years, but we forget how young he is. So, you know, the new boss has been in what, in charge of two games. I think. Not so even. Some people... This was his first game. He was. Oh, he was. His first game. Yeah. Yeah. We we had a weird middle period um, before he came in. I think the last um, game it was in the stands, PSG. and uh, his the coaching staff was constantly communicating with him, but he wasn't actually on the touchline. So. Is this when Leon were battling between the progressive option of Graham Potter and the even more progressive option <gasps> no. of Christophe Galtier? <laughs> <laughs> no, he'd actually been hired. I think he just had one training session yeah. and they decided like let's put him in next week i was surprised i only found out actually after the game had started and then i saw that it was in grosso on the on the sideline and i was like oh, okay because <laughs> like, where's my new a- boss yeah <laughs> dale from number one so so yeah but um, yeah i was gonna say like you know it's his first game even you know who cares what he's doing yeah it's that club is an absolute crisis let him give him time and you know, take Turkey out of the spotlight. It's probably a good job, good job for him. Yeah. yeah, I mean, my my perspective is I think a lot of people have seen this as a... So a lot of people have seen it as Grosso kind of trying to put his foot down and make a big mark in the squad. A lot of people have seen it that he already doesn't rate Turkey. But my one problem is, is that if he's playing this 4-3-3, where does Turkey really fit in? I mean, I personally think you can play Turkey in midfield as a, as a... But then you really need the other two players to kind of support him defensively ultimately what it goes back to kind of a 4-2-3-1 sort of formation so I think uh, for me I don't read into it as yet that Shirky's being dropped for anything other than Grosso not really seeing him as a as an easy fit into the side that said I think he should have started um and yeah uh, Alex Alex Barker you're right I think one of the one of the reasons why I think Shirky gets a lot of hate is Lyon fans ourselves are the most critical in the league, I'd, I'd say. And for no real reason, I just think 
like we're always critical of our players. Um, I think Laurent Blanc even made a, a comment about it last last year where he said, okay, when I came in, when I was hired, everyone was telling me, why isn't Shirky playing? You better play Shirky. Now I've played Shirky and you're immediately telling me that he's making too many mistakes and that he should be dropped. So like, well, what is it? And I think it's it's a weird thing with Lyon where we, we tend to go after, during bad periods, we go after our best players. I think... Uh, I think kind of maybe you can parallel it a bit with United fans going after like the likes of Bruno Fernandes and um, and Rashford. So so it's a weird sort of situation. But, but yeah, I don't want to read too much into him being dropped yet. I do think it was a mistake, especially with the lack of creativity in the team. I think if you're going to drop him, we should have played Alarouche. Um, and we did neither. We, we played Toliso, Akuku and, um, and Kakare in midfield. Well, let's talk about the league leaders then. Uh, Brest, who created 2.44 XG, four big chances in this one. Do we think their early season momentum is sustainable, Collins? Four big chances against Lyon is kind of par for the course <laughs> so far this season. But um, <laughs> so that, they're just hitting about average in that game. But but I think they're really good. I mean, you know, Nanada, I've been a big fan of Brest so far this season. I think... Yeah, they, they're just executing their game plan really, really well. And I think it, it suits the players really well. I don't know. And I think we're, we're going to talk about this later when we get to the mailbag section of the, the the episode of how sustainable it is. But I don't see a reason why it's not beyond, I think, teams paying them a bit more respect and wising up to like where they need to defend and, you know, tactically... Help tuning themselves but I don't think the actual performances themselves beyond that are sort of lucky at all or anything like that there's a lot there's a lot to like about Brest at the moment there definitely is all right well I'll come back to you Barker later in the episode when we touch on Brest in more detail uh like Alex said um sorry like Collins said at the mailback section <laughs> but uh the next game we're going to discuss is uh La Havre 2 Clermont 1 um, a brilliant result, I think, for for newly promoted side Le Havre, who have quietly crept up the, the table, setting sixth at the moment. And uh, Mohamed Bayo getting his first one for them, currently on loan, of course, from from Leo. Do we think they are a surprise package for this season? Uh, Barker, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I'd guess so. I'd say in more ways than one. I mean, firstly, like... It, it's a great sign to get Mohamed Bayou and it's quite tough seeing yeah. what he went through a Lille last mm-hmm. season and yet they got both their goals in the first 10 minutes in this game as well didn't yep. they I think what's in what surprised me about Lav this season it surprised me last season too in a way is that uh, as someone who's looked into French football just as like a fan really like I haven't grown up so the thing I really was interesting about Lav when I looked into them is their youth products right and their academy, like there's just great stories about how they've raised players. Um, I think this is mainly talking from hazy memory here, but like they base their players, like their their teachings on intelligence. They're really hot on education, both footballing and otherwise. And the idea is that you're bringing footballers through with high IQ as well as high technical ability. So you'd expect the half then, like be high up the table with a bunch of young upcoming players who are just you know like this is the new Salzburg or whatever like bunch of super talents but they're actually one of the oldest squads in France in Ligue 1 at the moment um, maybe that's playing into why they're a bit surprising is maybe there is a temptation to rely on the youth but they're 
more boring than you'd expect, and that has played <laughs> into their favour. Beyond Mohamed Bayo, of course, who isn't boring. <laughs> and and Yasin Ketcher, I think he's been he's been the one exciting player I've I've kind of noticed so far. I've only watched them twice so far this season. Um, but yeah, I agree. I was also expecting a lot more young players. I don't really follow Ligue 1, but when they came up, I was like, cool, let me look into the squad. And there they weren't really that many. I think part of the reason is they do produce a lot of these young players, but then they sell them. I mean, Kumbedi is at Lyon, and we kind of took them off him off their hands at, at 17 years of age. So I think they've reinvested that money quite well through um, more of a, like a stats-based approach. And I think bringing in guys like Kuziev and stuff who have been these performers in years in the smaller leagues around Europe and kind of giving them their big chance. So I think there seems to be a, like quite a bit of a shakeup over the summer. I think we looked at, at Ignenad in the one pod. And yeah, it's, it's interesting that they've gone for age rather than maybe youngest sellable or resellable assets. Hmm. I think it's worth mentioning as well their manager, Luca Elisner. Like, I, yeah. I haven't looked properly into the tactics yet, but like this is another example potentially of well, it's just a flat another example of a young manager coming into Ligue 1 and doing well. Whereas I think the biggest criticism of the league in the past would be that players excellent, but managers were quite uh, older, quite outdated. A lot of four two three ones, four four two style systems. I think to be fair, I think that's not the how I play, but it seems like to be another example of an interesting manager coming in and to an interesting team mm-hmm. yeah i think i think Lyon was the Lyon game was um was the one actually where it was between grosso and blanc um that we played i was i misspoke with psg but but yeah i was so impressed by how good they were defensively in that game and i think it's one of those where they sit quite low but you can just see how well organized the team is and i think yeah the reputation that they had from last season where they were the best defensive team in the league despite being and won the league in league though despite being what like the fifth best attack if that eighth best attack something like that so yeah i think i think that's going to be one to watch out with them this season in terms of how good they continue to be defensively all right let's talk next about uh, another promoted club in mets who lost 1-0 to Patrick Vieira's Strasbourg. Um, I'm aware that we're going to touch on them later in the pod, but I just want to get some very quick thoughts in general from both of you first. Uh, Barker, what have you made of uh, them so far? Strasbourg, you mean? I think mm-hmm. they've been one of the... I'm surprised how high up they are on the table. We look at results, I think they've beaten the teams they should and lost to the teams they should. I think there's like Monaco... Monaco and Lons, I want to say? No, probably not Lons. So the teams they've lost to, like the big Monaco and Nice, sorry, <laughs> the teams they've lost to. And like the relegation fodder, like Leon, they've obviously beaten. So it's like, it's kind okay. of what you expect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's obviously what you'd expect. Um, I, yeah, we're going to talk about more later in the podcast, but the guy I'm most impressed by is uh, Emmanuel Omega. I think he came in mm-hmm. from Stone Glatz, I want to say. And uh, he just looks like a, a freakish talent. He's like a giant, but like the agility of a tiny man. Um, so yeah, a bit of fun. Yep, Collins. Yeah, I think they're kind of boring. Um, I think they were much more exciting than they had Bellegarde, and they've lost him. And remember, I said that they kind of be relying on on a as as you always see with Vieira and some kind of winger to run the game now, and that's what they are doing. I think with Angelo. Um, I have to say, yeah, they are. They do have a number of players that I quite like. Those Angelos look good. Um, Omega, I've also been very, very impressed with, and then the two, the two centre backs, or wide centre backs, if you want to call them, I've enjoyed a lot. So Ishmael Dukure and and Sila on the other side. So they have their team with cool players. Um, 
but yeah, it, it just looks like a Vieira team so far. I think Belagao was really was really driving them and and kind of caught to what the team was doing well. And I think they don't quite have a replacement for them, even if they are now leading a bit more on the on the wide create the creativity from wide. Yeah, for sure, for sure. All right, let's close off this section with, of course, the headline fixture from the weekend, which was Le Classique, uh, Paris Saint Germain coming out. 4-0 victors in this one against a miserable Marseille team. How bad is it going to get for them this season? Uh, Barker, what are your thoughts? No. I, so I'm... People who might know me online would say I'm a, like, I tell everyone I'm a neutral fan and I maintain that. But I feel like if I was to support a team, it would probably be Marseille. Uh, again, sorry, Collins. So it's, it's a good because... thing you're a neutral fan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good thing I'm a neutral fan. It, it's, 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 there's, there's nothing to it. It's just that over the last few seasons, they've been really fun. Like, such fun managers in Horace and Powerly uh, and Igor Tudor with like, a bunch of fun players. Also, Pamela Longoria seems like a great president. Like, he's done so much there. And the fans, okay, they're a bit chaotic. Okay, they're very chaotic. But <laughs> it's just, like, there's things to love. And, like, in the space of three weeks, like, the fans have burnt the club down. Longoria's got, like, is going to go, it seems. And, like, Marcelino is the most boring manager of all time. So I, <laughs> I just saw this. I'm, I'm happy he's gone, to be fair. So this 4-0 just saw it coming, um, to be completely honest. <laughs> I The last time I watched him was... Uh, in four was the game against Ajax and I could barely get through it. I was especially from the perspective of if Marseille, the least reliable team in Europe, loses, <laughs> then the French coefficients in the bin. <laughs> so it's just I've just got a lot of negative thoughts swirling about Marseille. But it's you on the other hand, look really, really good, which is irritating of course. Before we speak about PSG, since you are shamefully a closet Marseille fan, I wanna know who you would want realistically to to kind of come in and be the next coach. You, you can't say um, Gallardo because he rejects every French team that asks him. So, so with that in <laughs> mind, who would you kind of want to come in and, and, and be the next coach? Well, who, do you, who would be realistically? They know if they don't do a good job, the fans will find their family and like threaten <laughs> them if they don't start winning games. Like, like it, the Gallardo one, I didn't know if he rejected other French clubs, but yeah, he's been like constantly tapped up by Marseille and unsurprisingly for a guy who wants to make a career, said no. <laughs> um, a realistic choice. I, I couldn't tell you a realistic guy. I think Gra- <laughs> Graham Potter would have been a really fun one, but again, like a guy whose career is in the balance. Why go to Marseille? They're just going to end up with a really safe and boring... They're going to end up with Laurent Blanc. <laughs> I hope so. Personally, that I would love that. I could even see Gaultier <laughs> yeah. come back. Um, Lucien Favre still available, yeah. so that even ha- that, that could happen. Been, yeah. Oh, Lucien Favre would be horror. I quit watching football. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about something more exciting then. Bradley Barcola and Gonzalo Ramos, who featured in this game. Gonzalo Ramos coming off the bench and scoring twice. Bradley Barcola, um, I was looking at the lineups and usually lining up in a more left-sided wide role almost looking like a wing back but i'm guessing more focused on offensive roles um what what what's your what were your takeaways in terms of psg's perspective from this one uh collings um yeah i mean i think marseille looked a mess but but yeah to speak to both barcola and gonzalo ramos barcola i mean obviously a player i i really do rate unfortunately no longer at my club and yeah, it hurts to see him do so well, but I think he looked really great off off the left. Um, 
But yeah, Gonzalo Ramos is the one that I've kind of been wanting to see what the fuss is about. I mean, I was impressed with him in one or two early um, Benfica games when he was just kind of breaking through. I remember I watched because watching for Darwin Nunez um, actually in, versus Ajax in the Champions League and I was impressed by him. But then, I don't know, if I saw sort of like, not much, but his goal quite log and stuff last season. And I was like, okay, he's that kind of player. Uh, but I, I've been really impressed with him. Kind of like he had to kind of win ground with me, I have to say, and and he has done so, especially since replacing Eki TK effect effectively, you know, retiring Eki TK at least for this season. Um, but yeah, I, what I love about him is he just seems to know exactly the sort of finish he needs to execute every time he's in front of goal, and that's actually quite rare for strikers. Usually, you know, they'll default to one or two, and it's not always the optimum choice and or optimal choice and. And I think he he has a lot of finishes in his bag, and he kind of he has really good time on his timing on his finish and the types of finishes he pulls off. So, so yeah, I, I've I've he's he's kind of won me over. I would like to see more of him. I think yeah, the whole Marseille attack was insane. Um, Colomani was was incredible. Looked kind of almost um, um as like almost Mbappe off off the right when he was playing. Um, yeah, I think I think they're gonna do damage this season. Um, PSG, I think with the firepower they have, I think they've finally kind of found a balance. So just, yeah, just to add to the Ramos point as well, because I'm with you, because uh, like the thing that really encouraged me was to see him. Um, I think it was the first goal, the header across his marker. What he did uh, in Portugal really well was that run across. Uh, his market. He reminds me a lot of uh, Taiwa Awaniwi in that respect. Like he's so good at making that run and that finish that like you just described, like that one touch finish in different ranges. So I'm I'm really happy he's like continued to do that because it is the fear of are you going to be Ekatikade and just like, <laughs> lose all confidence and ability in your football? Yeah, whatever's happened to Ekatikade, he's he's literally fallen off the face of the earth. I don't know what's going on with him. It's such a shame because he was. He is genuinely a super talented player. Like, yeah. I will never forget. I I, I apologise for like keep making references to Leon failure. I just have this etched into my brain for some reason. But cause, do you remember the <laughs> the goal where I it's, remember it, it's the one where Denier goes to stop him. It's like an open goal, and he fake shots him. Yeah, Denier goes slides across goals, taps in. From that moment, I was like, this guy's so special. And he's, he's done that a couple times in his career, in his short career. I think two or three times I can think of where he's he's kind of done that fake shot, and it's it's a rare thing. You don't really see it as much as I think you did in the two thousands because there's so much less time and space. But yeah, he's got. For for a player that's kind of known for like high XG and stuff, you know, getting on the end of things, he's actually really composed and very good with his like tight footwork in those moments. So, so yeah, I miss Ekitike. There was sort of like a kind of almost a chance of him coming to Lyon. Like I don't know how strong the rumor was, and I was very excited. And then he's ended up going nowhere, which I think is just awful for his career. He actually turned down the Frankfurt um, loan, Eintracht Frankfurt, and I have no clue why. Because he yeah. money, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, but I think they almost just wanted to loan him to kind of smoothen the deal with getting Muani in. So at that point, like there was a lot of leverage on his side, and I think he didn't even want to go on loan. Yeah, it's just, it's a shame. Like, like he genuinely isn't that much of an exaggeration to say PSG profiled him as an Andy Carroll. Like you're a big mm-hmm. man, we're gonna win headers, and he's just ne- he's just not that. It's like the Kai Havertz thing, the Cody Gakpo thing of just because you're tall doesn't mean you're gonna put your back to a defender and win high balls. Absolutely, yeah. I really don't expect to see him much this season, but I hope we do at some point. I hope he gets a January loan, loan maybe. I expect him to get as much game time as Jaden Sancho. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, it's a low bar, so you never know. You never know. Well, I do hope, yeah, personally, I hope that he gets a January move as well. Uh, it's a shame that his career has sort of come to a standstill almost at, at PSG now with all the offensive options they have. So, so yeah, want to look forward to in the January transfer window. All right, that brings us to the end of the weekend review. Let's take a short break before we jump into the mailbag section where we have a lot to discuss across various clubs in Liga. So stay tuned for that. And we're back from the break. Um, I've just realized during the course of the break that we forgot to acknowledge the absence of uh, <laughs> Jerry in this episode. Jerry, unfortunately, had to miss out uh, the recording of this one. And uh, But fear not, listeners, we have the headlines from France still, uh, as we promised to continue this uh, new part of the podcast. And thanks to, thanks to Barker today, we have some interesting stories from Lyon, I believe. So take it away, Barker. Uh, from Lille, Lille sorry. I believe, which is down to my fr- French pronunciation during the break. Yes, because uh, Mr. Alex Colleague sent me the podcast plan before recording, and in my effort to not be shown up and to prepare thoroughly, uh, I, I prepared for this a uh, little bit for a French story. And I think I've had a really good one, to be fair. It was from uh, La Vade du Nord, uh, which is a newspaper in the north of France. And um, it was an article today ahead of uh, the Lille game. Uh, talking about little set pieces. Do you know half of their goals this season have come from set pieces? And it's been a conscious effort at the start of the season to focus on them. Do you two have any idea why? I couldn't well, tell I'm, you. Collins. I, I mean, this is very simplistic. I don't think this is right at all. But, I mean, in Diakite, they do have a very good threat. From And then I guess... What I've noticed recently, especially since the Euros, is Angle Gond also pretty good with his delivery. I know that's not the right answer, but I guess they have good personnel. They do have it. multiple set piece takers who are, I mean, I say quality set piece takers, and and Angle Gomes obviously, and then you have Kabea, and then Jagr was decent his delivery as well. While neither of you are wrong at all, uh, it's nothing <laughs> to do with the players. It's actually because France are hosting the Rugby World Cup at the moment uh, and the Stade Pierre Moroy is being used as one of the grounds. The ground, and uh, Fonseca has spoken about this in the media, is being torn to shreds by the rugby games. Uh, uh, that's, why, uh, that's why they're playing regular games as well, like regular times. And they've been focusing on set pieces because they've not been able to create to- from open play as much. They're, they're struggling to hold possession. That is fascinating. Very actually. interesting. That wow. Contextualizes a lot. Yeah. Well done, Barker. I mean, you, you've shown us up. You've shown us up. So. <laughs> but no, that's actually that makes a lot of sense too. And I mean, do you know what they've actually? So I don't know if it was by just kind of chance. They're like, hey, we actually have a lot of set piece threats, but they do they do look quite dangerous from set pieces too. So it's not it's not a situation where they've just been forced to something that doesn't work it only slightly works better than moving the ball across the ground because I've been impressed it's the one thing I have noticed just because I've seen guys like Diakite pop up again and again having scored goals I think he's what probably scored two or three already this season which is what we're six games in okay interesting well yeah I mean they'll they'll take goals from anywhere they can get I think at this point they've got seven goals in in uh, five games so far they play they play rounds as we speak um so, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see how much that boosts their overall tally. Uh, so thank you for that, Barker. That was Headlines from France brought to you by Alex Barker. All right, with that out of the way, <laughs> let's get into the mailbag section of the pod 
We'll start with uh, a Strasbourg question from Benjamin at CFC underscore cut. And now, Barker, since you're the guest, we'll come to you first with this one. How do you think Chelsea's acquisition of Strasbourg has affected them so far? And in the future, with star players like Belaga, Jiku and Diallo leaving, and with the young, young talents like Omega and Celia, will they make the difference? Or is there a major stylistic change needed? Hmm. I, so, look at this question. It's an interesting one because I know there's been uh, protests from the fans yeah. uh, about the takeover, but like objectively, this should be good. They're able to pump, pump more money into the team and into the signings. We've already mentioned uh, Celia, who I think is a record signing. We've mentioned Emmanuel Omega. Um, there's, I think, uh, six foot five, like I mentioned earlier, but like super agile. He's just like a really freakish talent. I'm guessing with the stylistic change angle we're coming from there, um, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe this is getting at the idea that Strasbourg, in previous seasons, they've been more direct, uh, more long ball oriented. Uh, I'm thinking of Ludovica Jork, um, one of my favourite players of all time. Um, the, if you don't know, the six foot seven striker mm-hmm. who. Like genuinely, it's got a very cool celebration a, as well. Yeah, and it was the nineteen twenty season, I think, where Strasbourg were doing really well. Like their game plan genuinely just was cross the ball into him, and this was like Anthony Cassie and Kenny Lala on the wing backs, and they were so good. But obviously, if you're a satellite club of Chelsea, like you're not Chelsea, aren't going to be playing like that. Well, not yet, anyway. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like Diego Simeone, and yeah, God knows. Um, maybe I get Sam Allardyce to save him for relegation. Anyway. Uh, like they're gonna have to change things going forward. I guess that's why as well they've brought in. Like I think they've already brought in Gabriel. I'd say from a he's on loan yep. from Chelsea. He's that uh, Brazilian that Collins was talking about before as well. It, it, this this will be an interesting thing to see, especially under Patrick Vieira, who trying to go through a stylist change at Palace. In my opinion, did pretty well and then got kind of undercut by a complete lack of recruitment in his second summer um so th- i think it is an interesting case study i kind of hope it doesn't do too well in a way because i don't want league to become a place where almost like the eredivisie and the belgian pro league where like a satellite club ends up being one of the biggest sides but realistically if if the the hierarchy of competence strasbourg could become a real force um I'm not talking like a, a league title or whatever, but definitely like a regular in European football. No, for sure. I think I think I see where you're coming from. I think all of that capital coming in from Chelsea will definitely benefit them in the in the longer term. And they've got some uh, very exciting young talents already in the squad as well. Mohamedou Diara is obviously one of them. Um, and in addition to all the players that you've already mentioned, Lebo Motiba is another big target man striker who they've got alongside uh, Omega. So the two of them really battering Ram style from the front, um, who will no doubt contribute to... You can call that Strasbourg culture, two battering Ram Yeah, Rams yeah, no, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So some things haven't changed after all. Um, Collins, what are your thoughts on, on this? I think where I stand on this is I very much... I think a lot of it has to do with kind of like also the culture of the fandom. And I, I think a French culture around clubs is very community based um so I, I understand where they come from in terms of it's not just about like whether this is going to harm or help the club but it, it's kind of like losing a club to some american consortium or or owners you know what i mean that's 
that it feels like it's no longer really based within, you know, the community as much as it was before. And I think that's a lot of where the um, the anger and the protests come from. Because, I mean, this is not a club that was doing great financially before. And, I mean, financial struggles were a reality year on year on year. And there was a lot of pride in being able to kind of keep their, you know, their head above water, I think, and act responsibly, even if there was a kind of frustration because it felt like they were always you know, um, treading water, to use another water analogy. But, but yeah, there was pride in that. And I think that's where a lot of the, the frustration has come. Um, I think, I think that, you know, that does help now that they've brought, brought in a lot of top players and stuff or, or players that will be top players. Um, you know, it eases that a little bit. Um, with the promise of, you know, a lot more security in terms of remaining at least a legal team consistently. But I guess the question that I would have as if I were a Strasbourg fan, what I'm always a bit worried about, even with, you know, Lyon being linked to, to Crystal Palace, for example, where you're not the head of the food chain, so to speak, I think, is where does that kind of cap you? Do you, you know, one of the big things about being a football fan is that belief that you can go like right to the top and achieve anything and I think that's also maybe been robbed a little bit from in a way like the ceiling the the floor of what they'll achieve is raised but maybe the ceiling at least in the fans eyes is like has dropped a little and I think even losing players like Jiku and Diallo um and Belagar I wonder if that would have happened all three of them would have happened if it, the club wasn't now owned by owners who are more interested in kind of buying players and maximizing on their value you know, and potentially seeing if they'll be good enough for Chelsea, you know, as a, a little side consideration. I wonder if that would have happened. And it does feel like you're losing you're losing some sort of essence of the club when you when you do business in that way, where the main consideration isn't what's best for Strasbourg, but maybe what's best for their owners or or Chelsea. Yeah. It's also like how transparent that motivation is. Mm. Like if you look at Union Saint-Gerois um, in Belgium, obviously they are owned partly by Tony Bloom of Brighton, right? And they Brighton have sent, used that club as the satellite club to send players like Simon Odinglo over to like to, to do so well, Karim Matoma as well. But you don't see their fans complaining. Yes, that's partly because of the success, but it's also because like I think it, it feels like the owners have a genuine motivation of making that club as successful as possible. Like that club's done pretty well in Europe as well. I think got to the quarterfinals of the Europa League. I want to say yep. last year. Mm-hmm. Well, I think so. Yeah, like that far. Whereas throughout the summer, what did we see from Chelsea? It was we're going to buy Eli Wahi and we're going to send him to Strasbourg. <laughs> and it's just like it, it's just so transparent that Chelsea are like, okay, we've bought this dumping ground in France. Let's send all of our young players there, and we'll bring them back in a year. And it's like it feels so much more corporate and less like they've actually got an emotional investment in how Strasbourg do as a football team. Yeah, I think that that's a good point. Maybe they're also just mainly upset because Burnley's a bit of a wacko and they don't want that <laughs> sort of guy leading the club. Maybe they'd be a bit happier with with a Tony Bloom where there's a, a proper structure and it, things seem to work. Yeah, I, I buy that as well. I mean, it's weird because I mean, I think even like guys like Uwe when they first signed or were going to sign in, the plan was to send him to Strasbourg and then Ugochukwu didn't want to go to Strasbourg and they're like, okay, we'll keep him and then send Andre Santos somewhere. And I don't think he wanted to go to Strasbourg. So he ended up going to Forest, Nottingham Forest, where he's not playing. But it's, yeah, I think the way that the club is being engaged with by their owners is, is nothing really to do with 
in a stable way, I would say. It's kind of always like, okay, we'll just throw players there and see how they do. It's really it's really just a ground for the players to kind of play at. So, mm. yeah. Yeah, definitely get the feeling that uh, Strasbourg have become a lot more corporate now than they were before. Losing a bit of that soul. So, so yeah, I think those cover our thoughts on Strasbourg sufficiently. We'll move on next to Dieter van Gogh's question. Dieter asks, Hi guys, is Francesco Farioli the new kid on the block? Well, he is the new kid on the block. So should Nice aim for the championship? And what at what position will they finish this season? Um, and what teams will be in the top four at the end of the season? So I believe... So let's just try to focus on Nice... Uh, the niece part of this question. Um, Barker, I'll come to you again. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on Farioli's uh, niece so far? I think they've been really fun. I think it's something I touched on earlier. Like, Illigan used to be quite a tactically stale league, and he is the freshest face. He's got the freshest tactics in the league, and it's just such a positive addition. Like, it's really fun to watch them, and it, as well as their players as well. Like, I, last season, Kevin Turan was great, but it feels like him and a few other players are stepping up at the moment. And it's just like a really good project going on at Nice. Uh, I think tactically as well, they've just been like, say they were fresher already, but like the manner in they're doing it in a league as well, where say Brighton, right? The Premier League under Deserby, they're beginning to get uh, countered a little more at the moment. And it's because the Premier League is the best league in the world. It's got, the the every best tactician wants to go there. So it's like you're fighting on the highest level. Liga and tactically still a little bit lower. So some of his ideas get to flow out really nicely, like against Monaco, where the entire back line man marked Minimino, Golovin and Balogun. And like maybe in maybe against Manchester City, for example, or like a an equivalent of Monaco in the Premier League, which would probably be like a, a Liverpool or someone, right? Like another top four team. They'd get punished for that and maybe force Nice into being a bit more conservative. But they're able to they're able to execute their plan and it's just like it's just really fun to watch. I don't know how else to word it. And as well, like if a good aspect of this is seeing players like Sofian Diop, who I thought was terrific against Monacovi's um contributions on the left wing, and Jeremy Bogger come on, another player who's kind of stuttered in his career, and score the winner. Admittedly like he did get, get given about 60 yards of no defending whatsoever. <laughs> but still, yeah, it's a a really much-needed addition to Liga. Um, more managers coming like Farioli, the better. For sure, for sure. Collings. Yeah, no, I've been I've been impressed by, by Nice so far. I mean, I think we were all excited to see what they do. I still think they're struggling a little bit when teams aren't trying to kind of get at them. In the last two games, PSG and um, Monaco, where they've recorded good wins and good value for the wins i think obviously those sorts of games suit them and i think maybe like for example lyon we sat back we didn't try to engage they struggled a little bit more i think lorient and strasbourg are other games where where they've struggled to break down teams a little bit and that'll have to come so i still think they're more of a work in progress than than maybe the hype around them kind of reflects at the moment but they are a really exciting team to watch they have a lot of exciting players um yeah and i think i think given the state of of the other teams to answer that last part of the question what you know what position will they finish given the states of where you know how the, the likes of lance um 
and Marseille have regressed. Um, you know, Lille maybe haven't kicked on as of yet. We'll see once the Rugby World Cup ends. <laughs> um, I think, I think that they're. You know, I don't think top three is at all unrealistic. I think it's very much within their within their reach at the moment. Well, it's interesting the the doubts that you bring up uh, of them in possession because that's that's really literally our next question is. Can you summarize? So this is from Will Sav, front of the podcast. Hi, Will. Uh, he asks, can you summarize what Farioli does, particularly in possession? So, Collins, do you maybe want to take a crack at that? Sure, sure. I think I'll, I'll speak to his key concepts. We, we're planning to do a Farioli deep dive soon. So we'll go more in depth there. But I think, yeah, it's possession heavy. They like to build from really deep based on lots of numerical superiority um, and drawing the opposition in. I mean... I'll, a lot of it is kind of deserving in a way, obviously coming from that same stream of thought. And one interesting thing, interesting thing I found out recently is that we all, you know, the, the general thing about Ferrioli, so this is a bit of a side route, is that he was the goalkeeper coach for um, De Zerbi. But actually what they mean by that is he was the coach specifically for building up from sort of goal That's kicks. interesting. That's what, wow, okay. Yeah, so he wasn't actually the goalkeeper coach. He was the build-up coach from goal kick sort of situations. And that's why he was called like the goal... I think he was actually just the goal kick coach rather than the goalkeeping coach, which I think is an interesting sort of fact that is kind of it's like... It's a very specific, you know, gone, a very specific niche. Yeah. When he kind of brought him across from... I think he was coaching in Qatar or something when... Um, when Deserbi first brought him across after reading an article that he wrote about Deserbi's like series series C sort of Foggio team or something like that. Um, but yeah, sorry to get back to to Farioli. So yeah, builds from very deep. Um, I think what he likes is a lot of movement from his passing options, but also keeping them quite close. So it gives a lot of options and a lot of angles. So players that are moving both towards and away from the passer as they kind of build up a lot of that leads to a lot of one touch combo play, trying to find the third man. And then, yeah, again, the Serbian likes to attack the space in behind. So they can be very vertical when they find the right sort of moments. Um, but yeah, we'll jump into a lot of that more specifically. I don't think we're seeing all of that coming through at Nice properly as of yet, but you're, you're definitely seeing the first sort of signs of it coming through. Um, and it, it, it suits in games when they can get behind and, and teams do want are drawn onto them, as I said, and Monaco and PSG are good examples of that. For sure. I think it's worth mentioning as well the, the tweaks. I think that's been really impressive in game. I think at Lyon, for example, like uh, I watched that game. I think it's interesting how that they've generally tried to build out a two three five, but sometimes that's kind of feeling to a two four as Taran was dropping really deep. That was pulling Kakare out, who was man marking him. And creating that vertical space, well, that big space to progress vertically, you spoke about. I thought against Monaco, they were really interesting because first half, uh, the first half of the first half, I'd say, Monaco defended like that five-two-three, like deeper block, and Nice just couldn't get through it. Like as you say, Colin, so progressing, they're trying to progress the ball quite narrowly, and the midfield mm-hmm. is very narrow and packed behind Monaco's. Like, if it is their double pivot and also their front forwards. And then you saw Sanson and Turan just slide wider into the half spaces. And that is when Nice were like, it felt like once they bypassed Monaco's like front two lines, all of a sudden they were just going straight at their defence. I think that's been the really interesting thing. It's not just being a guy who's got his principles he will die hard by, but also like he's capable of spotting things in game to gain an advantage over an opponent. And that's quite a smart thing to spot. Yeah, I haven't I haven't watched his Alanya sport 
well, I caught one game, I think. But I've heard that he's being a bit more pragmatic. People who've watched him and, you know, followed him from Alanya Sport across saying he's about being a bit more pragmatic. And I think, yeah, as you were pointing out there, Alex Barker, um, yeah, it seems that seems to be something that's coming through a lot more rather than just being so dogmatic in terms of possession and, you know, consolidating it very deep. But yeah. No, I mean, so far, I think that that pragmatic and rather flexible approach is, is working out well for them. So, so yeah, long mate, long mate, continue. Okay, before we before we move on to the next question, Barker, I'll come to you on your thoughts on, on the top four at the end of the season, which was the second part of, of Dita's question. Oh, it's tough because everyone bar PSG is doing terribly. He's <laughs> like Marseille falling <laughs> off. <laughs> Marseille falling off, in particular Leon falling off. Red just being mid as usual. Um, I'm definitely stalling for time. Uh, I think PSG probably, <laughs> obviously, in there. Um, I say Monaco getting just. Uh, maybe Nice and Monaco getting just. And I do. Th- I, I actually believe in Lille. I think Lille will have a rebound and they'll get at, at least fourth. Um, I, I, I believe in Pelo Fonseca. I think he's one of the top coaches in the league. Yeah, I kind of buy with that. I, I wanted to hear what he had. I think I think that'll be... I, I'm higher on Monaco than I think other people are, or at least you are, Alex Barker. Um, sorry, I keep saying Alex Barker, but it just feels weird to say Barker. So <laughs> it feels like the teacher's telling me off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but yeah, no, I think that's where I sit. I think it'll probably... Just looking at how it's panning out at the moment with Lance coming, dropping off completely. I mean, I think we kind of saw them being fifth at best. Or not, not at best, probably fifth at the beginning of the season, but I don't even know if they'll make that. Uh, Marseille dropping off more than expected. I do think Monaco and Nice have a really good shot at the other Champions League spots, and then then Lille. We'll see if they. I was expecting a lot from Lille this season, so we'll see. No, yeah, I mean, I think the regression of these two teams in particular has opened up a window for maybe another. Um, obviously, two teams to occupy their spots, but also a dark horse to maybe. Uh, throw their hat in the ring so so we shall see what the what the top four shapes up to be towards the end of the season uh talking of the regressed teams obviously in Lance, the next question is on them from uh, from jug boiler at boil jug um they ask if you were in charge of Lance, how would you replace uh lois openda and seko fafana both tactically and within the transfer window and do you think Eliwahi and Adidouf were the best replacements. Barker, I'll let you tackle this first. Yeah, this is a good, a really good question, mm. and it's worth saying as well. Lawns at the weekend they did beat Toulouse two one, so I think we will see a rebound. Um, I think the first part of it of replacing Openda, I think they've done that in Wahi. I think Wahi provides what Openda was able to do, which was making runs, particularly in the channels. And for Lons, that was really important for dragging him up the pitch. Not just like going 1v1 on goal, but like making the opposition collapse backwards or at least uh, drop their defensive line a little bit of fear of the runs in behind. And like when they're playing like Sotoka up front, who's a bit more of a guy who will slow things down and help Lons build more slowly, um, it, it, it's nice to have that flexibility. Replacing Fofana, like, I think, do you started well with his ball carrying. I think people who'd seen him, I think it was in Switzerland he was playing, yeah. right? Mm. Like, I think people predicted that, but you just... The, the amount of Seco Fofana was doing for Lawns, like, one player isn't enough. Like, he wasn't just 
a guy who was carrying the ball forward. He was someone who could, like, on one end, create a moment of magic by... Uh, he's done this so many times where he's cut inside off the left and belted a shot into the top corner of his right. He's, like, their third attacking player. He could play in their front three. And on the complete other end, he could also play in a double pivot and provide offensive solidity. Like, he was doing absolutely everything. There was points last season where he was always dropping to left mid <laughs> and, like, moving the ball down the wings. Yep. Like, there's, there's so much he could do, so... I think maybe that is an element where you have to make, fix Lons more tactically. And the answer that I, I wouldn't know exactly, but what I would, I guess, what my counterpoint would be is that, and this is just something I've said before, so I'm saying on the pod, I think Lons are a really good comparison to Atalanta in Italy. Like, if I've read a, a Tom Underhill's book on them recently, and like being a big fan of Lons and reading about Atalanta, like the parallels are so similar. Like, a a team with a very, very loyal fan base that kind of gone through years of underperformance, got a, a manager in, obviously highest, far less experience than Gasparini, but has just continually taken them forwards on a shoestring budget. Yep. They've sold their great players and replaced them with players who they build up. And there was a point just after Atalanta qualified for the Champions League where they started horribly that season and everyone was like, oh God, the luck's running out. And they kind of rebuilt things again. Uh, I personally, I do see that with Lons. I think there were some great individuals in it, like Fofana. And as I said, like I think replacing him was extremely hard. But this wasn't a team who were just thriving off, you know, bringing in a couple of superstars. This is a team thriving off a really good system. And I think if you go back and watch their game against PSG, like they were unlucky to lose as badly as they did in that because there were points where they're just causing so much havoc against PSG uh, with their press, which is probably the best in the league or at least up there. Like, th- I think they will be fine. I think they will rebound and at least get into some form of Europe. And I'm a hope they'll do something in the Champions League as well. So while I th- their position on the table looks horrid, it's worth remembering it's only been six games and they got their win on the weekend. I think we'll be talking about them next season thinking, great, they turned it around, they got XYZ player out of XYZ. And they will just keep building under highs. Colleagues, do you share Barker's optimism about them? Yeah, I think, okay, I, I pretty much completely agree with Barker, especially the part where he kind of said, like, maybe it's not just trying to find direct replacements and actually trying to change something tactically, for, especially losing seconds, just a huge blow. Um, and I think maybe they could have looked to maybe reinvest in improving the players just behind the striker uh, as well as obviously having to get a new striker rather than trying to find not that they necessarily did but like the direct replacement for um for Seco for Fana but they are still trying to play the same system with what I would say lesser suited parts um so I do think something needs to change tactically that said I did try think of alternatives and the one that I've spoken about on the pod that I'm convinced actually could replace Seco is Unahi and obviously he was having a little mm. bit of like trouble with Marseille earlier I think they could have jumped on that opportunity you know in another in another you know time and it would have been a really good replacement I think Unahi has a lot of he's not the same player exactly as Fofana but kind of plays in the same zones and suits the same sort of you know brings this brings similar qualities um to the team so I, I would have loved to have Unahi at Lance um the other suggestion as a kind of a backup I had was Jeff Rain and Lane in another in another life would have been incredibly underwhelming in. <laughs> incredibly underwhelming I, I had to I had to think give me my Unahi hype and then let me throw it. <laughs> <laughs> but um 
but yeah, I think maybe the Jeff of like what now, three four years ago might have been a good a good solution. Um, but I think Andy Dioff is a good player in his own rights. I, I just think they might need to change in terms of striker alternatives. I don't actually think why he's a bad player. He's obviously a bit different um, to a pender. But I mean, I think if I'm thinking maybe less expensive alternatives and maybe players who could suit a little bit better, Ekitike did come to mind. Would have been about half the price of Wahi. Um and I think he actually brings a lot of the same qualities that Openda does. They are different in, in other ways as well. But I think if you want someone who's quite tidy in the box, we were already speaking about getting onto the end of things, um, actually has a bit of creativity about him that I think hasn't really been explored in his career as of yet. Um, I think he would have been a nice solution. And then Gift Auburn from, mm. from Ghent, is it? I oh, think that is a good show. he could have just been a nice alternative to Wahi. Also cheaper. I think he was... Spurs could have got him for what 25, 20 to twenty five million, um, but I think yeah, there's a, I see from what I've seen of Gift Orban, a lot that why he can do he can do too, and then he's also maybe a little bit sharper, um, with his sort of short movements inside the box, so so yeah, those were the two that I thought that that's my solution to try and answer. But overall, I do, I tend to agree with other Alex that that yeah, something needs to change tactically rather than kind of going with a system that has worked, but you've. You've changed the parts over and over at this point. Uh, and Lons have Lons have tweeted before as well. Like in their first season, they're very counter-attacking, and then their second season, they were a lot more. I'm not sure if the stats completely reflect it, but like in a, a lot more games, they took control more often and tried to build on the final third. The Pender came in, and then they went back to sitting deep. So like, they do play the same system in a sense, but they do tweak things. So your back has to do it. But I was just looking at a name because. Uh, other other Alex uh, listed off so many. I felt bad I didn't give one. So <laughs> uh, uh, what, what I what I tend to do when I go for suggesting players from France is I go okay, which team has a lot of good players that they're probably wasting? Of course, it's Bruno Genesio's Ren. <laughs> uh, I was thinking, <laughs> I was thinking, you spoke about a player behind the striker. I think that is needed. How does Amin Giri sound? Because he has been stuttering at Ren for ages to the point where he's not going to be picked up by you know. A greedy Premier League team, be a fun pickup for Mons if they could get him fired. I mean, again. I'm sure they they'll I'm... happily take Kalimundo back even. So, mm. but I think Jury is one of those that could even play a little bit behind the striker off the left to kind of make it work. I, I mean, I would love to see him in a, in a system. You know, I'm not a big oh Alex Barker is also not a big Genesio fan, so we can bond over that. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Actually, having somebody you know a tactical setup for all of these guys, Kalimundo, Jury would be it would be nice to see them at Lance. I quite like that shot. Yeah, it's it's it is funny how like Bruno Genesio is genuinely like a bottom five or six coach in the league now. I mean, tactically certainly, and and he has yeah. been for time. I think though his one saving grace is he's quite a good man manager. Um, yeah. and he's good with youth. Uh, I think he's he's never had complaints in that in that regard. But tactically, I mean, yeah. Uh, as a Lyon fan, I, I could say a lot in terms of ha- taking some of our most talented teams and just doing very little with them. And the same is happening at Rennes right now. Exactly. <laughs> well, let's move on to another team that are doing exceedingly well and perhaps exceeding most expectations that were set at the start of the season is Brest. And we have a question from a friend of the pod, Neil Shalit. Neil asks us, Brest look good. Do you reckon they can challenge for a European spot? Uh, Barker, is uh, Neil jumping the gun a little bit there with that shot? 
personally, I think he is. Um, <laughs> but I can understand. I can understand the hype. I, I don't mean that like too harshly. Although Neil is a football, a football madman who <laughs> Qatari sports league. Like, hey, we, I guarantee you right now he's watching like the second tier of David. So take everything, take every other pinch of salt from this man. Um, but Brazil are a very interesting team. Like kind of a little like a. You know, Berlin says this, they've got a very counter control at the moment. There's a if you go to the analyst, um, Opta's website, they do uh stats and they display data in a really nice way. And one of them is like team styles at breast in a corner of their own, where um, so it's like bottom left, bottom right, and there we go, we've got it up on the screen. It's like the bottom for the listeners, it's like the top left is um, I think like fast and direct, uh, bottom right is slow and possessional, yeah. and like. Breast of bottom left, it's like they're direct, but they're not just lumping it forward and you know, like just aiming to go forward as quick as possible. They're thriving off their physicality and like their players. Munier got the the goal at the weekend, yeah, it was a fantastic <laughs> header. Uh, I think they've been fun for a, a while, though. I think you guys may be a bit more qualified to talk about this anecdotal like thing of just like. Have, have they not been kind of giant killers in the past? I certainly remember in the last couple of seasons, just like I think they had. They started see. Uh, it might have been last season, season before. They started really badly, and like they had a war of their fans. But like, I'm pretty sure they have a history of just like killing off the big teams at times, and like completely against the grade. Uh, just maybe it's the way they suit opposition like that. I can't remember if they did last season if they were giant killers, but it's certainly been in recent years that they've been. Yeah, they've taken a couple of scalps. Them and, and Montpellier, they seem to have their teams that they always... The big teams that they always seem to beat. I think... I'm not sure who it is for Brest. I know Montpellier always end up beating Lyon. So, so I've, I've got them up right now. So since so last season, they beat... Just scoring through. They beat Marseille 2-1 away from home. They beat Nice at home 1-0. Uh, they lost P- to PSG only uh, 2-1, which is, I think, fair enough. Uh, drew, drew drew one one with Lawns, which I think is pretty respectable. Drew nil nil with Lille, it's pretty solid. Okay. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's, they've got a generally good record there. They actually went undefeated against Marseille last season as well because they drew their first game. So they they tend to see like just looking at their matches last season tends to match up pretty well and just lose the games against the weak teams. And I think they've actually yeah, I mean they've been. Always an industrious team, that's the one thing. But I think they've kind of added a little bit more under Eric Roy. I, I know last week um, Jerry said his name far more accurately. We'll have to ask, but Eric Roy is what <laughs> I'll call him for this week. Um, they just look a bit better in possession now. Um, well, not in possession. Yeah, in possession, I would say. In possession kind of gives you that idea that they're keeping the ball really well. But really what they're doing is they're winning the ball back well and then making just putting the ball into really good situations where they can kind of fight for it second balls or really good delivery on the first ball. I don't think that they'll challenge for a European spot because I but I actually think they could be easily, you know, a top half finish this season. The way that they've been playing, there's really no reason to think they won't. And it's also worth just speaking to some of their their transfer business, especially right near the end of the window. I mean they got a Mavi in as a as a kind of a backup, but like even more exciting than that than that, they've got Brahimi from Nice in on loan, Kamari Dumbia from Stadaran. Um, and yeah, obviously adding on earlier business and like guys like Bradley Locko, uh, Martin Satriano and um, Kamara, who they brought into midfield. So they're looking pretty, pretty good this season in terms of the actual quality in the squad, which I don't think was true going into the summer. So 
they've done pretty well and uh, and they're actually they're enjoyable you know sometimes when you speak about an industrious team it's kind of like a backhanded compliment it means that they're doing well and you know they're tough to play but they're crap to watch but i i've, I've quite enjoyed watching them so far this season no i can see why i can see why they've definitely uh, borne the fruits so far of a very uh, smart approach and a simple approach on the pitch but a smarter approach off it in terms of their their recruitment so yeah long way the surprise keep uh, coming for them uh well let's let's move on next to uh, a couple of questions which might be better suited uh, to you Collins as a as a Leon fan uh the first of which is from uh, Kunlia Jao born Mof Tarkin uh he asks uh, as a Leon fan should i write off the next 3 years at the very least uh that's his first question uh, so <laughs> i let you tackle that uh, at the very beginning add it up a zero <laughs> <laughs> You know, that's a very depressing question to have to answer. Um, I don't think so. I don't know. Um, the the one thing that I'll say is that things can change very quickly, especially in this league. Um, and that I don't think the good teams are that great at the moment, are that dominant, or have gone back. And Lyon still have a lot of quality. We're just lacking in certain areas really really badly so I don't think we need to write off the next 3 years but at the same time I think it could go really bad it could go really bad my my I'm just holding on to hope that we're in a better direction now we really needed to get rid of Oles and I think a lot of what we are seeing is kind of the decline and the erosion of like everything at the club um from you know that final sort of Oles era let's say and and yeah i think we've stopped the rot i don't think this windows business was great but i understand you know i appreciate the fact that we didn't we didn't have as much room to really move or, or you know decide what we were going to do with with the dncg um kind of on our backs so texted didn't have that much freedom and ended up us doing some wild sort of weird business you know obviously loaning molenbeek um noama despite <laughs> molenbeek buying him for more than the value of the club and all of that but but yeah i think i think one of the big issues this summer is we we had one defender we could really rely on and we sold him and now we just have no defense and it's showing every game Um but yeah I think I think we've made good moves in terms of getting rid of Laurent Blanc I think our summer business was good in context of like the DNCG I want to say or maybe I'm just being too optimistic but things can change quickly but it's not something where I'm like confident that we'll be a top team in the next 3 years but I I'm just hopeful that that this chapter you know it's a kind of off to a rocky start of the texter reign but really also that's come from a rocky end to the oldus reign no i mean um that brings us nicely to the next part of the second question which is from uh, the road island olympic leon fans um very niche group so hello to everyone from there um uh, they ask what are the chances that leon will get relegated and uh, what do you think Uh, is part of the problem is that it's stemming from mismanagement from John Texter, and it could be the scouting of players and the quality of the players that the club currently has. And uh, since many of the players that 
you know, left Lyon, have been replaced since with with terrible players, uh, in their opinion. So, Collins, do you do you share their thoughts on on the replacements uh, so far? I just want to say first, I don't know if you guys remember that sort of F ref map where they were finding the most searched up player on F ref. Oh yeah, 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 and it was like there was like Messi, obviously Neymar was. I think it was in the states, but it was like Messi and Ronaldo and Neymar. And then suddenly in Rhode Island, it's Maxon's Kakaria. Yeah. <laughs> so we found the guy. We found the guy. We found the guy. <laughs> um, but I don't think we're gonna get relegated. I I, I feel quite strongly. I'm increasingly getting closer to Jerry's suggestion that it will end 12th. I still think we'll end the, in the top half. Maybe that is just me being blindly optimistic and biased about my own team. But I, I, I'm pretty confident we won't get relegated. I do think the problem has stemmed from management to an extent. But I, like I said, I think it, this runs kind of overlaps with the previous answer. It has to do with the previous reign as much as maybe things not going so smoothly at the beginning of this reign. Um, but yeah, we've also done some decent business. I think, you know, I don't, it's, I, I say decent business. I think we've got good players, but we didn't really get in like the six that we needed to. We lost a top defender. Oh, Barker has his hand up. I think I want to hand over to him. Oh, no, I, you, can, you can finish your point, my friend. You can finish my point, your point. I'm just <laughs> putting my hand to make sure I get my thoughts off. Well, you'll get, you'll get your chance. Don't worry about it, for sure. <laughs> I just feel like I'm rambling it out and trying to defend. But I think, I think, um, I think there has been mismanagement and maybe things haven't gone as easy for Texas so far. I'm a bit frustrated with our summer business, not so much in terms of the players that we got, but the profiles that we didn't. We really did need a six and... Now this Akuku is our is our six, um, and then we yeah we lost we lost Lukeba and then brought in frankly not a very good player in Chaleta Cha, um, and it's it's kind of led to like you know knock on effects of Sanali now being our left centre back despite him being far more comfortable at right centre back. So there are a lot of issues, and I think maybe you can you can point that as like scouting issues in terms of him saying like that we have issues with scouting of players. I can agree from a profile thing. Maybe sometimes in terms of squad building, there's been issues. Um, even if we're getting in decent players, um, but yeah, I'm trying to hold back my proper evaluation till maybe you know another window or two when we aren't you know bogged down by the DNCG. Yeah, it feels like there's plenty to plenty to get stuck into in terms of. Uh... Leon's problems uh, on and off the pitch. Uh, Barker, what are your thoughts on that situation so far? So I think I I agree with Collins that on paper you won't get relegated. Like I think things will get better. However, I'd like to play devil's advocate just because I think. <laughs> so we mentioned it in our league and chat the other day that I see I see a lot of parallels to Schalke, and by that Oof. I mean I don't I don't think it takes. I, I, I think it takes worryingly not as much as you'd hope for Leon to go down this season. Like it helps that there are some teams in this league that aren't particularly good, even A team league. I think Mets are in big trouble. I think Clermont are in big trouble as well. However, you've laid out so many problems there, right? Like you sold Lakeba, you brought in Seletasar. Uh, you also brought in a brief point, Jake O'Brien, which is like when <laughs> Sim starts glitching. <laughs> like I don't know what happened there. Uh, if you look at the quality players in this team, like you've got some of the old guard, like Lacazette and Taliso. I think Taliso's really inconsistent. 
uh, we've also got a Tagliafico in there. You, you've got your young players like Cherky and um, the Penalt as well, and Nuama. But what it takes for them to go to start underperforming and start think, wanting to leave the club is if the rest of the team doesn't do well, which is what's happening. Like you, you, I can, you can see if Leon don't do well for the next like six to ten games, or five to ten games rather, like you're gonna get a thing like what happened with Mason Mount and other players at Chelsea, where it's like right. We just need to escape the abyss, and the amount of issues off the field as well. Like, I don't know, man. Like, I, they, it's I'm playing devil's advocate to an extent, and it, obviously there's the element here to line, wind up the Leon fan. But I, I, really <laughs> do, I do fear for you in a sense. Like, like there, there's so many problems, and if you have one year of underperformance and like in this toxic atmosphere already, like. There is genuine potential here to have like a really horror season. Like this is the same things that happened at Schalke. They were once a Champions League club. They were doing really well for a few seasons. Uh, I think they finished like second two seasons before they went down. Obviously outperforming the numbers massively, and then it just took one really bad year where everything to go wrong for them to slip and slip and slip a bit like Leicester last season. And before you know it, you're out. Well, I mean, oh, thanks, thanks for that. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, so I think... I'd like to thank you guys for having me on the pod. I don't think I'm returning. <laughs> no, but you know what? I, I, I agree with all of that. And I think it's it's something that I've kind of like tried to avoid this idea of like players leaving or trying to, you know, you know, jump a sinking, jump off a sinking ship, right? Um and that's maybe why there's also been such an emotional response to to guys like Lukeba and Barcola seeking an exit. I know Lukeba kind of says he was forced out, but it, uh, it's a bit murky in terms of what actually has happened there. Um, Barcola certainly did want to leave. Um, but what one of the things that happened is is when Barcola kind of, when other players found out that Barcola was leaving, there was suddenly in the news a lot of suggestions that players were instantly looking for a way out, which is... It's quite nerve wracking, and I, I do see those. Yeah, unfortunately, those those parallels with with Schalke that you've brought up. I think, yeah, it's it, the one saving grace we have is the academy, and even that, I think we kind of did fumble our best generation. I think the recent guys, guys like Guiri and um, Kakare, Gusto, someone we speak about a little bit less because he left just before things started to really fall apart. Um, yeah, obviously Barcola as well. Even even guys like Awar, you know what I mean? I think we haven't made maximized on them at all. And a lot of them have kind of either left early and done Melbourne Bards and other done better elsewhere. Um, or yeah, stayed with us and, and kind of started to stagnate and you know, realize that maybe moving on is best for their career. So we can be really thankful that Kakare is quite loyal to the club. But he's someone who probably should be looking to leave for his sake, right? Um so yeah, that 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 definitely is a worry, especially with with some of the financial issues that are coming down. Um, I am just hoping that you know we're the third biggest club in France. Was I guess what Schalke probably around there too? Hey, yeah, they are a bit club. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe we should move to the next question. But yeah, it, it's definitely it's definitely a worry. Um, it's, it is definitely a worry. I just hope. We have a bit more quality in terms of the academy and the setup there to kind of keep us afloat. Um, but we really did need we really did need this movement away from Ola, so I'll have to say. So so that's 
that's sort of what I'm looking forward from. Yeah. Whereas I think Schalke never really sorted out those problems. That's mm. sort of more of a question than a statement. Yeah, I guess so. I think I think like the general statement like to make here, I think like jointly from both of us is like in nine out of ten of the universes going forward, like Leon will come out of this okay. But stranger things have happened in European football this century. So it's like it, it really it is like a valid point to make of Leon could be relegated this season. Like it's, we're not saying it's likely, but it is like scarily a possibility. I mean, I'm not I'm scary. not going to buy into all the negativity just yet. I feel like it's there's a lot there's a lot of murky stuff going on on and off the pitch at the moment. I feel like once the dust settles, what happens then will will probably be the deciding factor. And let's be honest, on paper and on the pitch, there are worse teams than Leon currently in Liga, so they'll probably be fine there. Well, so, on, so. On, on on the table, not really. I think there's there's like one worse team than us, but yeah. I think we're gonna... there's, 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 wor- there's worse teams in the league, but but maybe Bar Marseille. There's no more toxic yeah. teams in the league at the moment. I think that's yeah. a dis- that's, that's a deciding factor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that true. That's true. true. We're all on the same page there. Well, move on. Let's let's move on uh, to <laughs> to the next question from uh, from friend of the podcast, Danny Cochran. Danny asks, "Can I please have a Jeremy Boga back in Serie A, the far superior league?" I think I speak for the rest of us here in saying no. You can't have him back. He's been very. Ex- uh, go away, you Scottish <laughs> man. <laughs> but let's talk about uh, Burger, guys. What if what have you made of his impact so far at Nice? Uh, Barkel, why don't you give us your thoughts first? Uh, I think I joked in the pod earlier. Like, okay, so I think he's been. Yeah, I think he's been yeah. fun. He's made a nice impact. I think his goal, it got clipped up. It's. Like horror defending for Monaco, like that's a really bad moment. That goal should not be allowed to happen. I've watched it again today. He picks the ball up near the halfway line, and he doesn't get tackled once uh, before. It, no, before we just take a shot, he doesn't get tackled once. <laughs> like, I don't think, I'm not. I wonder if he actually completed a successful dribble on that. Like he just carries it. Um, so, so yeah, we'll we'll see how he does. Uh, but I'm happy for him. I'm hoping like this is a, a point where it's like. I know. I, I hope this is a bit where he kicks on more into becoming a really big player, and he's not like a Jonathan Bamba, who you know is just middling for his prime years. Mm. I mean, Jonathan Bamba is probably a very low bar, but I think he should be. He should <laughs> be okay uh, with these um, callings. Anything to add there? No, I think I, I share I share other Alex's sentiments um, a lot. I think Jeremy Boga. I'm I'm excited to see him finally in the league. He's kind of been teased to come join the league with a number of clubs over, over the years, and Nice is the one that got him. Um, I don't watch enough Serie A to really know. I mean, I knew he was a big talent, but but I can see all, what all the hype's about. And I think definitely as as things come together a bit more at Nice, I, I think he can get even more dangerous. So so he's a player I think I can see becoming more and more... Um, yeah, in terms of goal output, I, I can see where it might come from with him. No, for sure. Um, so he's one to keep an eye out on. For sure, for sure. It feels like a good good fit for, for Farioli's niece so far. Um, there's final two questions left uh, out of the 10. So the next question we have is from uh, Travis Levison. He asks, um, it's slightly vague, but what do you think is the most interesting slash unique tactic from a team or player standpoint that you've seen so far? Example, a player playing in a different role or a team attacking with a certain structure. 
Um, personally, I think just to put it out there, it's probably the more obvious shout is Wilfred Singo playing right centre back at Monaco after having been bought uh, from from Torino, playing primarily as a as a wing back. So I think that's an obvious one to get out of the way first. But uh, are there any other players or teams that have stood out to you guys so far? Uh, Barker, why don't you give us your answer first? Uh, I'll go with my team first because you nicked my player. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, with with team, um, your your guys are gonna laugh, and it is it is a a famously negative answer from someone who's very negative on everything he does. Because I love the depression. Um, the most surprising tactic I've seen this season was Marcelino's Marseille because in a league. <laughs> Where in, in a league where there's so many teams doing so many exciting things at a club which in the last couple of years have been so progressive with their managers, like I think it is surprising and <laughs> that Marcelino played a medieval four four two that was genuinely just long ball. Like there wasn't that there was nothing modern about it. But that that was surprising to me because I was just like I, I, for the first time I watched it, I couldn't believe it. I, I thought like the preseason is just kicking in, and you watch it in league one, but it felt it, it was a nice showing of how far the league has come. Just watching, thinking this is so dated, <laughs> but it's it was the most shocking tactic of the season. And yes, I know it's the the awkward answer to this question, but I'm going with it. Uh, I guess with a player, a quick shout. Um, they're currently two 0 down to Ram at the time of recording, Lil. Uh, so that's not fun, but. Yusuf Yazici has had a nice rebound out of Paul Fonseca and has played off the right. When he was playing in the title winning season, he was um, a striker alongside David or Yilmaz. Um, so it's been interesting to see him kind of play. Uh, I think at wide, he's also played deeper in central midfield as well. He's been playing at 10 a lot. At 10 a lot, yeah. So it's, it, it, that's been a nice rebound for him. Uh, I saw uh, it was his. Um, Hunter for appearance recently as well and I was going through what the Lille fans were saying and they're saying this guy is so talented he just needs to kick on his career he's continually wasted his talent um, so maybe there'll be an, an arc to follow throughout the season there mm. Collins what are your uh, teams or players that have interested you most mm, I'm trying to think in terms of teams um, I, I found Monaco overall I guess quite interesting to watch especially since I didn't know what to expect from Hota and I think they've They've looked really good. Um, yeah, in terms of the uniqueness, I guess it's just, it's really interesting combinations. I think how they've rolled out from the back has been interesting. Player is currently, you know, part of the 2-0 up versus um, versus Lille right now. And he's got two assists is um, Munetsi. I've, I've enjoyed how they've fully given up on even pretending he's a midfielder <laughs> <laughs> anymore. He's just like a a battering ram. Or he it seems to be this game. I'm looking at the formation and he must be playing in midfield. But up until now, he's been this sort of a battering ram of like a false nine. Like kind of if you put he's kind of like if you've made Dumfries into the Dele Alley role and just seen him like a rock with it. So it's it's been what, really what you're describing. I haven't seen much, but what you're describing sounds like a Thomas Suchek of West Hey, but he's be- he's better. True. He's That's better a... on the ball than than Thomas. No, he Sinchuk. is. He is. He's he a is. He's a, he's a really good box to box player. I think yeah. he, he can have a loose touch every now and then. But he's he's a good player. He's a player I'm very fond of, especially since he kind of comes from my part of the world. Um, he's Zimbabwean, but but yeah. Um, so I I've enjoyed watching them kind of like 
even after selling the rest of the midfield and you know guys like Lopi and we've spoken about this to death about Lopi because he was mm. kind of deciding well now you're gonna be like our Delhi Ali guy and just we're just gonna let you rock off and make <laughs> runs in but in behind and off of our striker um, so I've quite enjoyed that, I think. Um, but yeah, I think Monaco, Nice are the teams. I think Rance we've spoken about a bit in terms of them having more of a measured approach this season. Um, they've been fun to see that evolution as well. Yeah, with Munetzi, I think last season you saw some shades of him doing that box crashing stuff alongside Balogun, trying to be that extra Absolutely, extra presence in, yeah. the, in the box. But it's nice to see that he's been fully given the license to... Be... He's making like eight eight passes per ninety at the moment, yeah. <laughs> and he's also been surrounded, I think, by a better quality of players, uh, like with Nakamura and Teddy Teoma, better quality in a technical <laughs> sense around him, um, and that's yeah, serving uh, to his own betterment as a player and to Rance's betterment as a team. So yeah, it's it's fun. It's a fun development to to follow. All right. Well, I think that uh, that brings us to the final question of the mailbag, which is from uh, from Wind. The wind brings us to an end. Uh, wind Astrea on Twitter. <laughs> they ask, uh, what are your thoughts and expectations for Lille in both the league and cups? Uh, Barker, you already touched on Lille a little bit. I'd say more than a little bit so far in this episode. So I'll let you close off on this question with your thoughts on uh, Ledog. Ledog. Um, yeah, I think, as I said, I think they're going to have a, a good season uh, once they kind of rebound. Uh, from like their early season struggle and what we're seeing and play out right now uh, against Rem. Um, but yeah, I think the UEFA Conference League will be interesting to follow because obviously Ligue 1 teams have um, <laughs> not been great. <laughs> but I, 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 Paolo Fonseca is the guy who took Roma to the Europa League semi-finals, if yep. I remember myself correctly. And so I wonder what he could do with that. Um, like I think Lille's squad is, is not necessarily deep, but they've got quite a lot of players in attacking areas makes you think maybe they have enough to balance like a moderate European push um, in the league and not actually going far in a cup. Uh, but yeah, I, what I'll be looking for this season, because it was his first full season last year, is um, continued belief in his methods from the players, uh, him being able to break down deeper blocks, which will keep springing up against him, I'm sure, um, as teams give more, a little more and more respect. And yeah, and also... What I've been really impressed by, just a quick note, is uh, what they've been doing with their fullbacks. I've watched a couple games this season. I can't remember the exact games, but the fullbacks have done very different things in those. Like, there's one where they were um, inverted and just crossing into the box from like a a, a classic Trent Alexander-Arnold position, like a corner of the box. And there was another game where it was like Santos and Goodmanson, I want to say, were like, they were the guys on the end of the crosses that were coming from really deep. They were just making these third man runs like to the back post when Lille kind of had the ball on the edge of the final third or like on the edge of the middle third. Uh, Fonseca just does some really fun things and I hope like the positivity around him continues. For sure, for sure. Collings, any thoughts to add there on, on Lille? No, I mean, I, I was excited for um, to watch Lille this season and I think... I, honestly, it's still stuck with me right from the beginning of the pod. Maybe we can go right to the beginning. But hearing part of the reason for why they've seemed to have struggled a bit more is because Paulo Fonseca is a coach that loves to play the ball across the ground, right? And and having to find solutions is interesting. It's interesting that he's kind of gone with that. Um, admirable, even, I, I would say. Um, but that does encourage me 
a lot. I mean, one of the things we said that if, you know, sometimes you run through pods a little bit quicker that we would have reserve questions. And one of them was, you know, um, who has been, which team has disappointed you the most? And I went into it with, with Lille. I think they've, they've struggled to get together. I think part of it is also to do with, I think, to be honest, Uncle Gomes coming back late and he's he's kind of the, their key man now, I would say. Um, but yeah, I, I think I'm I'm more encouraged after this part, I have to say, and after what Barker said, Alex Barker has said. Um, yeah, I think I think they could be really good this season and I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how they do. I think a cup win is, is within their grasp for sure. I, I don't think that they'll win the league. I, we didn't go in thinking they'd win the league. Um, but yeah, I think top top four sort of to echo also what, what Alex said earlier um, is sort of where I see what I see for them yep yeah I think we're all on the on the same page there with uh, with Leo all right I think with that we've come to the end of the mailbag section now before I let both of you go I really want to quickly get your shouts for next weekend's matches to watch from Liga um barker you're the guest i'll let you pick out the game that you are looking forward to most for our listeners next weekend so which one are you going for uh i would be going for i'm definitely stalling while i get up all the fixtures in front of me on my phone <laughs> i'm an honest man chap um but the next weekend monaco marseille obviously that's that's the key one there well in a sense it's key but I feel like if current trends continue, that's going to be one big team destroying another big team who are terrible at the moment. Ren <laughs> um, v. Not will be an interesting run because Ren, I think, are just checked, are unbeaten this season. Yeah, they've not lost a game. They've drawn five. In a row. Which it's is, a bit dire, yeah, isn't it? Which yeah. is very dire. Uh, so that's going to be a case of, you know, the unstoppable force meets a slightly immovable object. Uh, <laughs> or so, or a... <laughs> A stoppable so, force means a movable object. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I'd like, uh, let's see how that goes. Cause I think, depending on what happens, the narrative around both teams could change quite significantly. So, I won't go through all of them, obviously. Um, but, yeah, Ren v. Non, maybe that's one I have my eye on, especially since it's a 745 kick. Cool, cool. Collins, what's the one you're going for? It has to be Nice versus Brest. I'm actually really interested to see how, how Brest um, approach this game. And then, I guess, how Nice counter that so for me it, it seems like an interesting tactical matchup and and what these are the top two teams in the table right now right mm-hmm. <laughs> I, yep. I think yep. if I'm right yep. yeah so it says a top of the table clash too and I would I would thoroughly recommend um people watch that nice game. breast <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> you were absolutely you had waiting to, to you say had that to. one <laughs> Okay. <laughs> nice, nice. Okay. Well, <laughs> for for my part, I think from the left, uh, from the fixtures left, um, I think it's a toss up <laughs> between the half Lille and Strasbourg loans. So I'll maybe shout out both of those games. Interesting to watch for different reasons. I think the half and Lille, obviously Lille. Uh, I think that's going to be one that they have to win and they have to dominate uh, Le Havre, but it won't be as easy. Le Havre have shown that, you know, they're not just here to be pushovers. They, they're here to fight for their place in Ligue 1. And so, yeah, that from a narrative standpoint, very ga- interesting game to to uh, follow. 2 p.m. kickoff on Sunday there. And Friday night's fixture between Strasbourg and Lens. Again, another uh, fixture, I believe, more interesting from a tactical standpoint. 
um, both teams and uh, be interesting to see how Lons set up with this one um, and especially countering Strasbourg's own transitional strengths and the more direct nature and how Kevin Danso deals with, with the likes of Omega and uh, Livermore So I feel yeah. like we have shouted out all the fixtures. We have, we have, weekend, yeah, so. yeah. Ligon, Ligon is, is the place to be, is the place to be for It is the, the best league in the world. Truly is, truly is. All right, well, that's about it for this week's episode. Thank you so much, listeners, for sticking around. Barker, thank you so much for appearing on the pod with us today and being an excellent contributor, I have to say. Um, on the off chance that any of our listeners haven't heard from you or checked out your content before, where can we find you? Oh, you're far too kind, my friend. You can find me at your expert on Twitter. You can find me making videos at TIFO, IRL as well. And uh, you, you can find me tweeting lots of things uh, to try and take Elon Musk's money because that is me. <laughs> but, like, it's been a pl- it's been a pleasure for that. I've had a great time. The time's flown by. And it is nice to talk uh, French football uh, with people who actually enjoy it. I mean, I saw Julie Laurent recently. Um, I got very giddy meeting him for the first time. Oh. And uh, he, he summed it up best. So I said hello to him. It was just, uh, it's nice to meet people who are interested in French football. There's so few of us, but we're growing. That's it. That's we are growing hear. indeed. Good to hear. All right. <laughs> well, thank you so much, listeners. We'll see you next week for the next episode. And uh, yeah, take care and stay safe. Bye-bye for now.